This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn again in your Bibles to John chapter 16. If you were with us last Sunday, we started a, um, a new series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, we want to use as a text scripture, beginning place, John chapter 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. And he made some statements to them. He said, I will not leave you comfortless. I'll send the comforter to you. Now, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And, um, uh, and he's indicating to them, the Bible says over and over again. As a matter of fact, the Bible says more about God never leaving you nor forsaking you <clears throat> in some form or another than anything else. It's in there the more, the, the greatest number of times about God never leaving you. It's almost like he's trying to make a point, huh? Well, how is he never going to leave you or forsake you? It's by his spirit. It's by his spirit. And so Jesus is saying the comforter who is the Holy Ghost, when he's come, he'll do a number of things. He'll testify of me. He'll rem- uh, bring all things to your remembrance and so forth. But he's saying that the Holy Ghost will be the one that comforts us. In other words, the Holy Ghost is the only presence of God that there is in us, with us, and operating through us here in the earth today. Jesus in a flesh and bone body, not flesh and blood, but flesh and bone body is seated at the right hand of God the Father. So God's in heaven. Jesus is at his right hand. And the Holy Ghost dwells in you in the church here on the earth. So in John chapter 16, verse 13... Jesus said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth. I love the fact that he calls the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the spirit of truth. Now, I'll remind you in John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying, he said that the word of God is truth. He's praying for the disciples, for the church, not just the 12, but for us as well. And he said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, then he's got to be the spirit of the word. If the word is truth and he's the spirit of truth, then he's got to be the spirit of the word. In other words, the Holy Spirit and the word always agree. That's the first and foremost way you can judge whether or not something is of God. Well, Pastor Mike, the Holy Spirit said this to me. Not if it contradicts the word, he didn't. He's the spirit of the word. Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he also speak, and he will show you things to come. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So God is telling us that the Holy Ghost is going to guide us. He's going to guide us. He's going to lead us. What's he going to lead us into? Well, all truth. Another translation says all reality. I like that because truth is reality. He's going to guide you into the real, the things that are real. How many things have been put off on the Holy Ghost? How many things have been attributed to him that didn't turn out to be right? That turned out to be false, that turned out to be goofiness or whatever the case is. That's not the spirit of reality that led him into that. He shall glorify me, verse 14. For he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and shall show it unto you. So we can expect the Holy Ghost to show us some things. Now, look back with me to John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking the same context, the same setting, speaking to his disciples on the night that he was betrayed. Notice he said uh, in verse, uh, 
Well, let's just start in verse 16. He said, and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. In other words, another comforter means one of the same type as I am. Now, how was Jesus their comforter? He's talking to the 11. We would say 12 kind of categorically, but the 11, since Judas has already left the room to betray him. So he's talking to his disciples, those that are closest to him. And he said, the same way that I've been your comfort for the last three years, the Holy Ghost will be to you. What have they looked to Jesus to do for them? Maybe a better question is, what haven't they looked to Jesus to do for them? He's been the source of their supply. He's provided for them physically. He's fed them. Whatever needs they've had, he's taken care of them. He's seen to every detail of their lives while they were with him. Is that what you look to the Holy Ghost to do for you? It's a real question. I think a lot of times we just accept the fact, we meaning the church world at large, just accept the fact, well, the Holy Ghost lives within us. We've got the Spirit of God because we're saved. And, you know, He's there. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And some way or another, He'll ride along with us until we get to heaven. Folks, He's not in you to ride along. He's dwelling within you to comfort you. In other words, to be your all in all. I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. I'm glad he said how long he's going to be with us. He'll abide with us forever. Now, he's not changing subjects. Going to the next verse. Jesus didn't speak in chapter and verse any more than you do. He's talking about the same thing where he says, verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, the world meaning the unsaved, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. In other words, Jesus is saying, number one, the Holy Ghost cannot come upon the world apart from Jesus. The way for the Holy Ghost to make a change or to bring salvation to the earth is through one and only one way. And that's through Jesus. He can't come to the, to the world any other way. In other words, if some group Some religion, some doctrine says, well, there's another way to God. We've got the same Holy Ghost that the church claims to have. That cannot be true. Because the world cannot receive him. There's only one way to receive him, and that's through Jesus. See, folks, Jesus is not about a creed or a doctrine or a set of rules. Jesus is about changing people's lives, changing them from the spirit, from the real man, changing them from the inside out. The reason Christians act different, the reason that Christians are supposed to act differently than the world does is because the change has occurred in their heart from within. Otherwise, you try to just keep a set of rules without recognizing the the greater one, the Spirit of God on the inside of you, you're going to be hopelessly frustrated. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he shall be in you. I'm sorry, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Notice Jesus mentions the Holy Ghost in two contexts, with and in. With you and in you. The Holy Ghost with you and the Holy Ghost in you. Now, did Jesus say the Holy Ghost will either be with you or he will be in you? Is that what he said? No, he said, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he shall be with you and 
He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. In other words, he's talking about two different things, with and in. Now, if he's in you, how can he not be with you? We could certainly understand how he could be with us and not be in us. I mean, if I went to the store with you, that doesn't mean I'm in you. We could understand that part, but how can he be in you and not with you? Interesting choice of words, don't you think? Now, what is he talking about? Turn back with me to John chapter 4 and John chapter 7. We looked at this before, and we won't spend a lot of time on it this morning because we want to go a little bit further than we did last week. But I do think it bears repetition to, to at least bears mention of what we said. In John chapter 4, Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well of Samaria. They're talking, he asked her for water from the well. She's uh, confused because Jews don't have any dealings with the Samaritans. And so they have a conversation about that. And Jesus said in verse 13, John chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water, talking about the water in the well, Jacob's well, shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him, notice that phrase twice, the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life now all throughout the scripture all throughout the old testament and the new testament holds the the pattern as well all throughout the old testament water was used as a type of things the blessing of god coming down from heaven it's used as a type of the holy spirit god said through the prophet joel he said i will come to you well he said through amos and hosea and joel actually but he said i will come to you as the rain as the early rain in the latter rain God saying, I, my presence, will be like the rain. Well, rain's water, isn't it? He's talking about the water of the Holy Ghost. He's talking about the water, which is the type of the presence of God. Jesus is saying, the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So we can see that in you, the in you phrase that Jesus is talking about, he wouldn't be talking about water in you in one context or to mean one thing in John chapter 4 and talk about water in you or the Holy Spirit in you in John chapter 14 to mean different things, would he? Would he? I think there's some consistency with Jesus, don't you? So the water in you is everlasting life. He's talking about salvation. So he's talking about a work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. And it's like a well. Well, who does the well benefit? The owner of the well. So he's talking about the well in you, the Holy Spirit in you. Now look at John chapter 7. He talks about the Holy Ghost, uses the same illustration of the Spirit of God being like water, but he uses it in a different setting or in a different manner. John chapter 7, verse 37, in that last day, the great day of the feast, what that means is, the, um, the feast days were, uh, they made a feast a week long, but one day, the last day of that week-long feast was the real day of the, uh, for the purpose or the, the whole point of the feast week. So he said, in that last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me. He that believeth on me. Now notice in John chapter 4, he's talking to the woman. He said, the water that I give him. He's talking about a gift. Well, what is the gift of God through Jesus? Salvation. But he said, he that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So now he's talking about the Holy Ghost being like a river. 
John chapter 4, he talks about the Holy Ghost like a well, which benefits the owner of the well. Now he's talking about the Holy Ghost being like a river. For who? For anybody he gives it to? No. It says for those that believe on me. So it seems to indicate in John chapter 7 that there's a prior work before this river of living water takes place. What is that prior work? That prior work is believing on him. What is believing on Jesus? Salvation. Verse 39, but this spake he of the spirit, which they that believe on him. Well, that would have to be believers then, wouldn't it? A believer is somebody that's saved. They which believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now we see this in operation. We see in John chapter 20, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he's crucified and the resurrection takes place. And immediately thereafter, he goes and presents himself to the father in heaven and comes back and finds the disciples huddled up, hidden behind closed doors. The Bible says they were behind closed doors for fear of the Jews. They're afraid that they're the Jews, the religious leaders are going to do the same thing to them that they did to Jesus. They're afraid for their life. In other words, they're in despair. They think that, that all hope is gone. These last three years were wasted. We thought we had the Messiah on our hands, but now he's dead. He's gone and we're alone. In spite of all the things that Jesus said, they felt despair. They felt fear and they were hiding from men. And Jesus appears in the midst and he shows them his hands in his side. And he says, peace be unto you. Now, when they saw his side, they were glad. When they saw, his, uh, saw the Lord, the Bible says they were glad. And then Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. And what did they receive? He goes on to say, or it goes on to say, Jesus went on to say, as it's recounted in John chapter 20, he said, whosoever sins you remit are remitted. Whosoever sins you retain are retained. So he's talking to them about receiving the Holy Ghost in connection with the remission of sins. Now, some people get hung up on, uh, and I've even heard some people say that the, the apostles had great power that we don't have. The power they had was to remit sins. Well, folks, it's not any man that has the power to remit sins, but every man has the power to tell people to preach the gospel that by receiving Jesus and his sacrifice, your sins are remitted. We also have a responsibility to say if someone rejects Jesus and his sacrifice, their sins are retained. In other words, they'll answer for their own. That's all that means. But the connection that he makes, receive you the Holy Ghost. He breathes on and says, receive the Holy Ghost. He makes that connection with the remission of sins. What is the remission of sins? Salvation. In other words, that's when something happened to cause that well of water to spring up into everlasting life in them. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew 8, 17 tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You're looking in the future for something to happen. You need to turn around and look behind you and what the Bible says has already happened. Because behind you is the cross and on the cross Jesus shed his blood for your sins, for your peace, literally your financial well-being and your sickness. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. 
To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now, we know something changed. Because the Bible says that from that point forward, they're not afraid anymore. They're not hiding behind closed doors. They're openly in the temple praising and worshiping God. They're out there in front. They're not afraid of the Jews. They're not afraid of being taken captive. They're not afraid of being beaten or crucified or anything like Jesus was. They're openly in the temple. The Bible says fear was conquered in them. And that's why they went out in public. The Bible also said that it was a change in their lives in that they were filled with joy. Now they're out. No longer in despair, no longer thinking that they're alone, no longer thinking that the last three years were a waste. Now they've had a change of life from within. They're not coming away saying, okay, now we've got a new set of rules. They're just acting differently because they are different. Now, the same group, and you might want to turn with me over to Acts chapter 1. This same group, Jesus tells to wait in Jerusalem until another event takes place. He tells these men that are saved, these men that have already been given the great commission, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He says, wait in Jerusalem. You know what to do, but you're not ready to do it yet. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. They've already got the Holy Ghost in them. The well of water springing up into everlasting life. The well benefits the owner of the well. But as Jesus said in John chapter 7, who do the rivers benefit? Rivers benefit everybody. Nobody owns a river. Rivers flow out and connect people. Now, this is what he's talking about in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power for what? And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. In other words, Jesus is telling people that are born again, if you're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel, if you're going to do the works that I did, you've got to wait for the power that comes from the Holy Ghost coming upon you, not just within you. But let me ask you this. Which one of these is Jesus expecting the average person to receive? See, we look at it a lot of times, at least the church world does. We look at this and we say, well, this is talking to the disciples. And the disciples became the apostles and they had a great work. And so God wanted the apostles to have some special power. Well, folks, the Bible says they're apostles today. Furthermore, Jesus said the Holy Ghost would abide with you forever, not till the apostles died. And he said he would abide with you forever and be in you and be with you both. In other words, the well of water springing up into everlasting life would be eternal. For everybody, not just eternal for you that receive, but eternal meaning everybody can receive the same thing no matter what point in time they live here on the earth. He said the same thing about this river of living water, the power of the Holy Ghost that would come upon them from on high. But you shall be endued with power from on high. That's the river. That dwells with us forever too. Now, some people will say, oh, no, 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 Pastor Mike. See, they began to speak in other tongues in Acts chapter 2, and that's all been done away with. And they'll go to a scripture over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and they'll say, see, the Bible says that these things will pass away. That's right. It says they will pass away. It does not say that they have passed away. It says that they will pass away. And when it says they will pass away, it says knowledge will pass away and prophecy will pass away and tongues will pass away all at the same time. Has knowledge ceased? 
I'm pretty famous for saying it has for some, it seems. But it's talking about a point in time. When will knowledge cease? Now, what knowledge is it talking about? It's talking about, talking about earthly knowledge. When will knowledge cease? When will prophecy, prophecy meaning inspired utterance in the Holy Ghost here on the earth, when will that cease? When the earth ceases for the church. In other words, when Jesus comes back to receive us unto himself, what's commonly called the rapture, those things will cease. But let me ask you another question. When Jesus said that the Holy Ghost would abide with you forever, he will dwell with you and shall be in you, and he'll abide with you forever, does forever include heaven? See, folks, you don't have any less or any more of the Holy Ghost here than you're going to have in heaven. He'll abide with you forever. When Jesus comes back for the church and we receive our glorified bodies and then we spend eternity with him in the presence of God, it's not like the Holy Ghost leaves us. He'll dwell with you forever. That means eternity. I would suggest you get used to him here. So which of these... Did Jesus intend for us to have the well of water being salvation or the rivers of water being the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Which one? And when Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Can I ask you a question? I want you to think about this real carefully. How can you have the Holy Spirit in salvation and not have power? What power is he saying? Is he saying that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the only power there is of God? Is he saying that there is no power in, in, the, in salvation? There is no power in the well of water in you springing up into everlasting life? Well, that doesn't fit the pattern we have in the scripture. Because the, the disciples certainly received power to change their lives. They were changed men, weren't they? They had power to overcome fear. They had power to receive joy. That beats most of the church world that I know of. If the Holy Ghost is the power of God, how can you have the Holy Ghost and not have power? And the church has made such a distinction in actually in denying the power of the Holy Ghost that we have to put due emphasis on the two separate experiences, salvation and the infilling. Have to, just have to. Otherwise, many people would be left with church doctrine rather than the reality of the power that's available to them. Yet. The writers of the New Testament did not write as inspired by the Holy Ghost, which means God did not intend for people to pick and choose which part of the Holy Spirit they wanted. When John wrote to the church and said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, what's he talking about? Is he talking about the Holy Spirit in in salvation or the Holy Spirit baptism? Both. When Paul wrote to the church and said, We're more than conquerors. Is he talking about because we're saved? Or is he talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit working through us? He's talking about both. Turn with me over to to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I believe, should be everybody's favorite chapter. And the reason for that is because Romans chapter 8 tells you what the overcoming life looks like. Paul goes through the the explanation in chapter 7 about the the struggle between his spirit and his flesh. The real man on the inside, even though he was born again. The real man on the inside struggling against the work or the desires of the flesh. 
But in chapter 8, he tells you the, the, the secret, the key to victory. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation which are in Christ Jesus. I'm reading from the King James, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. That last phrase, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit, is not in uh, some of the oldest manuscripts. You look at a, a comparison of different translations, New Testament translations, you'll find that about half of them, maybe a little bit more than half, include this phrase, but the rest do not. We'll hold on there for just a minute. I, I don't believe it's supposed to be there. That phrase is in verse 4. But there's some pretty significant evidence that shows the translators pulled it up from verse 4 and included it in verse 1. Now, whether that was because they could not accept the phrase, uh, the reality that there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, period, or not, I don't know. That's my best guess, but who knows? Nevertheless, this phrase, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit, is in dispute. Now, let's leave it there for the time being and see if the Bible clarifies so we can understand. For, here's why there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, whether walking after the flesh or whatever you want to believe about it. For, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Now, let me ask you a question. Has the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus made you free from the law of sin and death only if you're not walking after the flesh? In other words, are you saved only if you live right? Or are you saved because of Jesus? then that phrase cannot be supported by the, even, even the next verse. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. In other words, he's saying very simply, it's not a matter of works. The law couldn't do it. Keeping the law couldn't do it. Only the blood of Jesus could. Well, what is keeping the law? Keeping the law is the equivalent of not walking after the flesh, but after the spirit. So it's a further explanation why there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What is Paul talking about? He, remember, he's talking about his own victory. He's talking about here's the victory that I gained over my flesh. I came to realize that I'm righteous. Not righteous if I do right. Righteous because of Jesus. Now, I want to do right. That's the reason why he was struggling. I want to do right as, as I believe most every Christian does. But not every Christian knows the power, has found the power, the source of the power to live right. Does that mean they're not saved until they learn to live right? If that's the case, then their salvation depends on them and not on Jesus. In other words, the blood of Jesus isn't enough for them. It takes their own right living to do it. We know that's not true. Verse 4, that or so that Jesus condemns sin in the flesh so that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Yeah, but here's that phrase again. Even if you leave it in verse 4 and take it out of verse 1. It's talking about the righteousness of the law is fulfilled when you learn to live right. Is that what he means? If so, then righteousness is not based on Jesus' blood. Folks, if there's one thing that you need to learn and be solid in and be established in, look yourself in the mirror every morning and say, I'm righteous no matter what. Because of Jesus, I'm righteous no matter what. Because that is going to be the number one thing that the devil is going to try to beat you around the head with. You messed up, you made a mistake, and so God's mad at you. God can't be mad at you because you're in Christ Jesus. 
The Bible says that the Holy Spirit within us is the greater one. That means his power is greater than anything that you and I are going to face in this life. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. He bears witness with your spirit. He tells you how he's going to lead you. He bears witness with your spirit, then you're a child of God. And if a child, then you're a joint heir with Christ, equal heir with Christ. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.